Hey there, welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. I'm your host, Christian Harris. This week's episode of the Seatown Podcast is brought to you by Seatown Real Estate. Their mission to make a difference extends beyond just their unique and unconventional approach with their clients and their agents. They partner with the community to give back a percentage of the proceeds from each home sale to a local nonprofit of their client's choice. Visit seatown.com, S-E-A-town.com, and experience the difference with Seatown Real Estate today. Uh, today I am going to be interviewed by the great Laura Swift, so uh, I'm a little nervous to be on this side of the microphone and camera, but uh, hopefully it'll be it'll be interesting. So. Well, hello everybody. I've been <laughs> I've been practicing my NPR voice, and here from Sea Town Podcast, we have Christian Harris, the owner of Sea Town Real Estate. How was that? Good. It was good, right? Yep. It's good. I've been practicing. Excellent. Well, this is a banner day for us here in West Seattle because we have switched seats and I am going to be interviewing you for your own podcast. I know. It's crazy. How do you feel about that? Uh, you know, I usually don't get nervous doing this, but uh, now I'm in the hot seat. So. <laughs> and well, I appreciate you being game for this. And the reason I suggested it, I was so impressed with our interview and the quality of the questions. I thought... We needed to get to know you just a, a little bit more. I do have some surprises for you, of course. Uh-oh. So, no, uh, oh, in a good way. Okay. In a good way. But um, I have been reviewing your biography and also the interview questions that you normally ask everyone, mm-hmm. myself included. So let's get started, shall we? All righty. So you started the Seatown Real Estate, and I know a little bit about you and the reasons that you decided to go uh, rogue, uh-huh. shall we say. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to start this um, amazing business? Sure. Uh, the short answer is because um, I feel like there's lots of room for improvement in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was primarily kind of two, two main points. Uh, one, I wanted to be able to have controlled my destiny, uh, but in that to be able to do something bigger than just helping people buy and sell real estate, which which is great. You know, it's nice to help customers. You know, do that. But uh, really, I see this as a means to serve the larger community and and the you know people. So, uh, which is why we built in philanthropy into the business model, and we you know hopefully draw other agents that want to do the same thing to uh, be able to use their business to not only help their clients but also help uh, community, local nonprofits, that sort of thing. Um, the second element is that there's not a lot of, um, t- typically in real estate, the, the brokerage game tends to be just a numbers game. You know, you, you get hired onto a brokerage and they say, hey, go for it. Good luck. Let us know if you need anything. You're kind of on your own. Um, so there's a high failure rate. Um, I figured, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty organized person. I, I love systems and processes and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, what if I could provide all of that to the the agents so that they can do what they do best, which is being in front of people, making relationships, you know, helping people, and I can provide all the back-end stuff so they don't have to worry about it. It's kind of a win-win, you know. Get to systematize all the admin stuff and all the stuff they don't like doing uh, and, and free them up to do what they do best as, as agents. So. That's very interesting. So you're giving people a platform to be successful in a different way than a traditional brokerage. That, that's what I'm going for. I mean, a lot of brokerages, a lot of franchises have systems in place, mm-hmm. but they're either you know so far out of date 
they're not very useful or it's uh, they don't really have um, it's 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 discombobulated so you might have like three different CRMs that don't talk to each other and you know kind of all these things out there and there's no there's nothing in place that kind of walks someone through hey you're a new agent here's the training to like set your business up as a real business as opposed to you know just good luck go figure it out and I hope you make it so so really so really I, I see empowering the agents to be the best they can to and with the end result being that the, the client gets a uniformly high uh, experience every time with any agent here at, at C-Town. So. I like that. So you're operationalizing the, the method, right, behind mm -hmm. real estate brokerage, but the goal, it sounds like, is you are creating people who have a high sense of self-esteem, they're proud of what they do, and yep. those things are being translated into their client interactions. Yeah, it's still a relational business mm -hmm. and we still emphasize that, but we're able to use processes, systems, technology to uh, enhance that as opposed to uh, some of the newer brokerage models, which is trying to replace that human uh, element. So that's kind of, I kind of see this as a hybrid, you know, kind of tech enabled, but it's not tech enabled to replace the agent, it's tech enabled to enhance that relationship between the client and the agent and the agent and, and the brokers in the community. So when you, if I approached you as, a, as an agent, I'm a brand new to the, the world of real estate, what kind of attributes do you look for when you are determining if a person mm -hmm. would be the right fit for you? Yeah, the, the first thing I look at is, is character. Because mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people just like, hey, I'm gonna get in real estate to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And they don't care about Helping, helping the community or helping other agents or being part of a team, you know, so I'm really looking for someone who's collaborative, who wants to, ideally is already involved in the community, or, um, you know, whether that's volunteering or, you know, giving money or, or, or whatever. Um, so someone who's kind of outward looking, not inward looking. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing I look for, because I mean, you can teach skills. You can't really teach character, you know, um, or it's a lot harder to, I, I will say, you know, trying to trying to change someone. Um, so, so that's kind of the biggest thing I look for. You know, if they're teachable, if, you know, they want to do something bigger, you know, than just help themselves. Um, you know, we all have to make a living, but you can do more than just, you know, line your pockets, you know, in this business. So. And how would you describe your managerial style? I'm a little bit of a control freak. Ooh, um, <laughs> okay, let's talk about that. Let's unpack that. Yeah. Let's unpack that. Um, let's talk about that. Which is, which is challenging in this mm -hmm. business because most, uh, so our brokers is set up where the agents are independent contractors. They're not mm -hmm. employees. So there's only so much direction you can give them. Um, I mean, I can tell them how to run the business all day long, but they don't really have to listen. Mm -hmm. And so having, having, people on board that, you know, that want to learn, that want to use the technology, that want to, you know, buy into the, the culture and what we're trying to do, trying to do something bigger, make impact. I mean, that's pretty important because if they don't, yeah, they could just, you know, hide off in the corner and do their own thing and not mm -hmm. care about anyone else and not be involved. But that's not really the kind of agent I'm looking for, you know. Yeah. Well, when we talk about the greater good and bigger impact and community, those are things that you bring up quite often. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the greater good. I think for you, the 
real estate transaction is far more than you finding the right house for someone to live in. It goes far beyond that. Yeah. So let's talk about the greater good of the community. What exactly does that mean to you? Sure. Um, I mean, being in real estate, I mean, I can't really think of any other industry that has more potential for impacting the community mm-hmm. uh, for good or, or for ill, if you will. Um, so it just kind of makes sense. Um, I mean, I, I did finish carpentry for 15 years and remodeling before this, um, but that is a much more isolated thing because you're working for you know a specific homeowner for a long period of time, you know, typically and that kind of thing. But but with something like this, you know, there's much more visibility. Uh, you've got a lot more transactions. It's a lot bigger dollar amount. Um, and you know, with so much money kind of flowing through the real estate industry, um, you know, I think there's plenty to be able to give back, specifically to nonprofits that are dealing with, uh, like in Seattle, we've got a big homelessness issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of nonprofits doing great work, you know, so trying to partner with nonprofits that are doing uh, work kind of, you know, in the, the relate to our industry. Um, you know, so specifically, you know, we, we encourage our agents to donate a percentage of uh, their commission, you know, at the end of a real estate transaction. Um, you know, I usually say, hey, you know, tell, tell your client, ask your client, is there a nonprofit they're, you know, they're passionate about and they would like to donate to? And we'll donate on, on behalf of, of them. If they don't have one, we have several that, you know, we recommend that we like to work with regularly. Um, and then more recently, in the last few months, you know, we you know, wanted to kind of step up the game and, and essentially create our community partnership program where uh, we you know, partner with uh, nonprofits like Westside Baby, you know, where if you know, we get someone who comes to us and wants to buy or sell a house and said, hey, I heard about you through Westside Baby, you know, then we give 25% uh, of our commission back to them because, um, I mean, that's a much, much bigger number than what we can normally do uh, mm-hmm. through regular transactions. So. Yeah, so it, I mean, it kind of helps everyone. You know, we're getting more business so that we have you know more to, to be able to give back. So. so I think that's a really interesting piece of your business model is you do like to, and not on a superficial level, but you really actually really like to dig into the nonprofit community. Mm-hmm. And I think you recognize more than anyone that the nonprofits are working hard to serve pieces of our population that have typically been underserved. And I actually had a conversation with uh, Nancy from Westside Baby Mm -hmm. just recently. And the look in her eye when she was talking about you and the good that you're doing is something that you just can't even begin to measure. Mm -hmm. And as I've read your biography, I see that you have that nonprofit thread throughout your entire life. What started that? Was it your your parents or something that you've just curated over your lifetime? Tell me about that. What why is that so important to you? That's a good question. Um kind of looking back at me, it 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 I I probably have to credit my my faith, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean I became a Christian in uh high school and really I think it was it was out of that, you know, kind of the awareness that like there's a lot of people in need, uh, a lot of people that don't have you know the privileges that you know we have, um, and that sort of thing. And so my initial kind of involvement, uh, I would say, you know, kind of my eyes were open when I went on a mission trip in my early twenties to Mexico to Tijuana, and we mm-hmm. built some houses. And I was like, I've never seen such poverty. This is amazing that people live like this, and the majority of the world statistically lives like that. Um, and so that uh, kind of opened my eyes, and you know, gave me a little bit of a heart for. Uh, 
for people that you know don't look like me and aren't, aren't living in this area or uh, you know don't have the same you know opportunities that I do and uh, and so you know getting more involved with uh, you know local churches and stuff the, you know it's it's very much a, kind of a part of the natural rhythm of you know not just looking in take care of our own but you know reaching out uh, and, and going out and kind of unconditionally like serving with our, our hands and feet uh, you know people that that need it um, yeah, so I mean, you know, that's how I got involved with Westside Baby initially. You know, it was a, a small church group. You know, I was part of. You know, we would go out. You know, once a month and and help. Uh, you know, pick orders and and stuff. And so that's kind of how I got exposed to uh, specifically to to that nonprofit. But so so I think that's kind of what drives it. You know, kind of a a, a love for humanity. You know, I mean, everyone's human. You know, regardless of where they are in life and decisions they've made and you know we all need grace at times we all need help at times so i really i like that um i like that answer i think it really encapsulates like who you are as a person and the things that you want to achieve that need to serve your community is that one of the driving forces that um helped you decide to move into your own brokerage i mean it's a big it's a big decision. Yeah. You have the safety of a known name, and then you decide to start something that is you know, completely yours. Yeah. Was there a defining moment that you decided it was time to make that leap, or was it just over time that there was just a series of things that you decided it was, it was time to really strike out on your own and see what you can accomplish? Sure. Um, initially, I think it was kind of a discovery process um, you know a couple of years into being a, a real estate agent um, I was kind of saying you know like how how can we do things different uh, and you know I started kind of coming up against you know the, the the walls the limits of you know being at a, a big franchise and kind of discovered well if I really wanted you know get outside the box I'm, I, you know no franchise is going to let me do what I want to do you know marketing wise or even be able to speak plainly and honestly about the the faults of the industry you know like get a lot of pushback there's a lot of you know uh kind of uh myopic thinking you know within real estate uh and so just to even be honest about how we could do better you know you get a lot of flack from other agents and, and brokerages and stuff um so there's that and there's you know i could always have done the philanthropy thing on my own as a single agent within another brokerage but i really wanted to be able to do something bigger um you know help create a culture as opposed to being kind of subject to someone else's culture. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was, that was a big part of it. I mean, the, one of the things that kind of drives my life is that, you know, I try to, you know, and maybe you've seen this with the involvement with, uh, you know, with the West Seattle chamber or whatever, you know, I try to lead with like, how can I help and serve other people? Um, you know, first, you know, and so like I try to end every conversation with, you know, you know, if there's anything I can do, let me know, you know, mm -hmm. even if it's not real estate, you know. Um, and so I try to, and I try to instill that, you know, to my, my clients and stuff, you know, or, or not clients, but my agents, um, trying to say, hey, there's times when, you know, you're going to be helping a client and maybe, you know, they're trying to figure out if they want to sell a house and, and it's not in their, it's clearly not in their best interest to do so. I want you to tell them that. Like, yes, you're going to be saying no to paycheck, but in the end, it's what's best for them, and that's really what you know we're paid for. And so, uh, so I try to do that with other businesses. That's the whole goal of the, the podcast is you know 
how can I do something to uh, leverage my skill set to, to, to help uh, bless and, you know, other people and businesses and uh, clients, agents, whatever. Like. Well, that um, marries us nicely to my next question, which is about the Seatown podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to tell you, I was impressed with the setup here and the way that you thought through the questions. Um, tell me a little bit about the the podcast itself. What inspired you to start the podcast and sure. where do you see this going? Sure. So honestly, between you and me? Oh yeah, just between just us. Between, just between us. And everybody who's going to be listening very soon. Right. Yes. Um, it was really a... Uh, it was kind of twofold. Uh, one, it was a positioning uh, move, essentially, you know, a, a uh, content marketing strategy, if you will. Uh, because, I mean, if I go around telling people I'm in real estate and, and, and whatnot, like, you know, it's a, it's a sales job. Most people aren't interested in talking to salespeople. They don't like being sold to, you know, and it's just not that interesting, typically. Um, but you know, hey, I've got a podcast where I interview business owners, yada yada. Like that's much more interesting. Um, so really, it was uh, an attempt, and, and that's why you know I wrote the you know co-authored the, the book and stuff, and, and why I do a lot of things I do. It's kind of a long term. How do I establish myself as not just a, a good real estate agent, but uh, someone who gives back, who's involved in the community, and 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 really, this is just. It, an excellent excuse to be able to meet other business owners, uh, like I said, you know, able to, to help them, nonprofits and whatever, and mm-hmm. um, just, you know, it's a great conversation starter. But it, so it's kind of all those things, um, positioning, you know, aspect of it, um, and then also just the being able to kind of give back and, and be, you know, have a better excuse to be involved in the community and be able to give something to the other business owners. Um, and I'm kind of, I don't know if I say nerdy, whatever, but I mean, like, I, I'm much more interested in the business, like growing a business that, that helps people and stuff than just the the function of selling real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of working towards, you know, getting out of actually selling real estate myself and just being able to mentor, teach, train, you know, uh, other agents and grow the, the business and uh, the brand and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm much more interested in the business side of things. So, like, mm-hmm. talking to other business owners and nonprofits and getting the weeds about that uh, is very interesting to me, so. And have you learned a lot from, just about human nature as you've gone through these podcasts? What yeah. things have, like as you've interviewed, how many people now would you say? How many interviews um, have you had? I'm on episode 60? 60, 60 right or so? Around, right around there, yeah. Um, it's been interesting because yeah, I've interviewed mostly business owners uh, and then some you know nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty interesting because you kind of start s- seeing themes, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the struggles and um, what most business owners struggle with, but they don't realize that all business owners struggle with it. You know, so it can be kind of reassuring, uh, kind of have that conversation, be like, you know, these things that you're having difficulty with, that's normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, getting involved in the business community can be very um, almost therapeutic because you realize, oh, I'm not crazy. Like, right. I, it's not just me, you know, flailing and trying to figure it out. That's kind of the, the part for the course. Mm-hmm. If you had the ability to run for office, would you run? Tell me honestly, do you want to be mayor of Seattle? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't like public speaking. I don't like being on limelight. Oh, okay. All right. Are you? How are you doing with this interview? Are you settling into it a little bit? I feel a little flushed, but uh, a little flushed. I think it's okay. Well, it's getting kind of 
of warm out. So. It is kind of warm. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want to run for public office? Probably not. I mean, I've thought about it before because, you know, I, I used to be a lot more involved uh, and up to date with politics, mm-hmm. but uh, I just, I was always stressed out and upset. So it <laughs> just, just kind of pisses you off, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the times, you know, with the, the way things are going or the way you think they should go, you know. Um, I, I don't I don't think I, I, I would because okay. I just don't like being at the center of things. I, I prefer being in the background, you know. Right. Hopefully enabling and empowering other people to do great right. things in the, in the limelight. But. So talk about um, leadership. Um, let's talk about your wife. Okay. So um, I remember this conversation that we had a little while ago. And you said the thing that you love about your wife, many things you love about your wife, uh-huh. is... Um, she can make food appear. She's like a magician when mm. it comes to the food. I think you had an after-hours party here for the chamber, yep. and we just happened to be talking about food because the food was amazing. Yep. Shout out to uh, yes. to, to Lexi Castro for that. Lexi, that was ridiculous. Oh my goodness! I don't think I took more than three steps away from those little whatever it was in those little plastic cups of treasure and amazingness. Yeah. So let's talk about the uh, your lovely wife. Mm-hmm and um, her ability to make food appear for you. Sure. So I'm sure that's one of the things you love about her. But um, let's talk a little bit, how did you meet and how long have you been married? Sure, um, we met at church, actually. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we, we have a pretty unique story in mm-hmm. the sense of, I mean, we were a little older, I think I was 28, she was 32. Um, so we met, and I think we knew each other for for a few months, but then once we started uh, dating, I think we dated for about a month before I asked her to marry me, and then we got married a month and a half after that. Okay. So on our honeymoon, we had known each other for six months, uh, which is not what I generally recommend for mm-hmm. you know for most people. Uh, it worked out for us. We've been married 12 years now. Um, the first three years were a little crazy because uh, I went to the East Coast for for military training, and she was. Uh, in a different state on the East Coast uh, for her internship, because uh, she, she, the reason she came here to Seattle was uh, to become a dietitian or, mm-hmm. or graduate yeah. degree at uh, Bastyr University. So, so she was just finishing up her degree when I when I met her, and we were both kind of going off to different things. And within a couple years of being married, I was deployed for a year, and mm-hmm. so I don't think it was till like our third or fourth year of marriage we actually like lived together for the majority of a year. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah. So that was a big challenge in the beginning, but yeah. you obviously you got through it. Yep. Yeah, we made it uh, this far, married 12 years, got a seven-year-old son, live here in West Seattle. And yeah. Well, we probably have some single gentlemen that are going to be listening to this podcast. Do you have any, what are your you know, top three tips? <laughs> oh, my goodness. For, um, well, obviously, you know what you're doing. So top three tips for um, a single gentleman who uh, would like to ask a lady out. How did you? Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my tips would come from from what I learned, you know, not to do. Right. Okay, uh, so let's say a not to do. What sure. not to do. Yeah, I wasn't super successful before we got married and had mm-hmm. a lot to learn after we got married. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say my, my recommendation, I have a, kind of a different view than a lot of people. Um, I'd say be assertive. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily aggressive, but like... You know, don't, you know, and I didn't necessarily do this. You know, I was the one who's like, hey, here's my number. And she's like, what, what for? Do you want me to call you? Is this a friendship? Is this, you know, like kind of that, kind of playing it safe. Don't, don't play it safe as a guy. Like if you enjoy, if you enjoy a gal, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, 
ask her out. You know, mm-hmm. make your intentions known. Don't just kind of play it safe and see if she leads or what she, you know. Right. Don't don't make your feelings Go based your on dreams. her response. Got got it. Per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of the biggest one. And, and I say that primarily because, you know, I wasn't super assertive. Uh, and, and I think in Seattle, you know, guys tend to play it safe and they're mm-hmm. kind of passive. And, um, and I don't think girls in general like that. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, you gotta gotta read it. I mean, people are different. You know, doesn't always doesn't always work. There's compatibility and stuff. I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't have tons of you know dating advice because I wasn't super successful at it when I was single. So. <laughs> but that's your top top piece of advice. I, I'd say so. Be aggressive. Uh, well, Just not aggressive. I'd not say aggressive, but assertive. Intentional. Be intentional. Intentional. Okay, yeah. that's a good word. Intentional. So. so so be intentional. Yeah. Okay. All right, gentlemen, make sure you write that down. Be <laughs> intentional. <laughs> well, I like the word ethic because that's what I picked up throughout your book. Mm-hmm. And not only ethics for the realtor themselves, but also for the homeowner. Sometimes it seems like homeowners have a an emotional attachment to their house that um, somehow translates into... A increased property value. Mm. Now, in today's market, yeah. we are certainly seeing a warm, you know, very warm property values. Yeah. But I still think that um, homeowners will attach an emotional investment on top of that. And as a real estate professional, what do you what do you recommend when you have a homeowner that thinks their house is worth? 1.5 million dollars sure but it's really only worth 800,000 which I can't even say only 800,000 right. that's a ridiculous number right sure. now yeah let's be honest but what do you how do you address that what do you do how what do you tell your new agents mm-hmm. when you have someone that has like a, a an emotional value and ethically, you could probably put it on the house for 1.2, mm-hmm. but the reality is worth about 800,000. How do you get through that? Yeah, I can, uh, there's a lot of a lot of ways to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes sellers are just stubborn and you're not gonna be able to get through, but mm-hmm. uh, typically my line of, of you know reasoning with them would be to start with the numbers. Okay, you know, here's what's actually sold in your market. Mm-hmm. Here's how it compares to yours. Um, you know, it's, it's tough because I mean, Pricing a house and and kind of that strategy, it it's it's largely educated guessing. Um, you know, yeah, if you get okay five different CMAs, you know, different market analysis from different agents, you'll probably end up in the ballpark, you know, mm-hmm. uh, valuation-wise, because they're all looking at the same numbers and kind of doing the same kind of similar analysis. Um, but you know. After five years of reading articles in Seattle Times about how ridiculous you know the housing market is, sometimes sellers get this overinflated idea of you know I could just ask for anything and I'll get it right with mm-hmm. 16 offers. You know it's like no, there's still a cap. It's still mm-hmm. it's you know it's still based on economics, <laughs> um, and you know, people are only willing to pay so much for for a property. Um, so it's kind of having those conversations. Uh, I I I tend to be on the conservative side when it comes to pricing, um, and you know sometimes that's bitten me because. Agents tend, you know, typically if you're interviewing to, to help a, a, a seller, mm-hmm. a lot of the times agents will just tell the, the seller whatever they want to hear. Or, you know, oh, you want this amount of money, we'll get you that. Mm-hmm. Just sign here. 
Again, once you sign it, you put it on the market, okay, it doesn't sell for that. Right. Now you're talking price reduction. Now you're talking, you know, it takes longer. Now people are like, well, why has it been on the market for right. a month? You know, what's wrong with it? Um, you know, now that doesn't happen too often, but, you know, if you overprice a house, that'll still happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be challenging, and I kind of use those stories of, you know, hey, here's, you know, here are our options, and here's the, the most likely outcome from those options. Um, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Uh, Sometimes they just want to save money and they go with Redfin or something. Um, you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of different models out there, and uh, it's good to find a model that works for you, you know. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got the ethical model. I mean, that's what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I see my job as is, is, is helping clients with what's best for them. Mm-hmm. But, well, let's talk about West Seattle a little bit. So you've been in West Seattle since 2007. Mm-hmm. And were you a were you a carpenter when you first moved to West Seattle? Yes. Yes. Yep. So let's talk about let's talk about what you build. Like what is your your biggest carpentry achievement? That's hard to say. There's um I mean the tra- trajectory of my carpentry basically mm-hmm. I, I, I started doing carpentry professionally I was 21 22, 21, pretty, 22 pretty young I kind of right? fell into it uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I worked for a company on the east side all they did was finish carpentry and so they had you know like a dozen different crews that did everything from um, you know and it was all new construction or extensive remodels so um, and so I started doing baseboards you know the trim around mm-hmm. around the, the floor and I just did that for a month and basically they're they're attitude was basically you get you become the master baseboard and then we'll move you on to the casing you know for windows and doors and oh, then we'll okay. move you on to this and um and so basically they you know trained me um how to do it, and i ended up on um you know like the one of the high-end crews and we you know did some street of dreams homes on the east side and um like we did we worked on ichiro's house and uh and what's his name lenny wilkins something you know, some famous Sonics coach from the 70s, mm-hmm. you know. This is houses in Medina and Mercer Island. And, um, and, and those and those are all pretty amazing because um, they're just super high-end uh, homes where, you know, a team of, a crew of six finished carpenters would be there for six months doing finished carpentry. Um, you know, your average production house, maybe a week, you know, doing finished carpentry. Mm-hmm. So kind of the... Uh, so, so I got to work with some amazing carpenters. Got to learn some some great skills, um, and, and that was part of the reason I got into real estate. Because you know, when I was, you know, I'm in the Army National Guard, and so I was on orders for a couple of years, um, just doing Army stuff, and I could only handle so much of that because so you know, office job, it's kind of bureaucratic, and mm-hmm. uh, it kind of wears on you. And so I knew when my orders were going to end, and I'm like, I, I don't. The easy thing to do is be fall back into carpentry, you know getting up there in years and I didn't want to be swinging a hammer when you know I was 40 or, or older um, and so I was trying to think of a different career and, and real estate kind of made sense because like I already understand the product I know how they they go together um, you know what's important stuff and that obviously helps with you know when it comes to inspections and doing walkthroughs and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff so um, so that's why I chose this um, and then you know really what what one of the big aha moments for me for opening my own brokerage was when I was looking at at doing this, you know, we're like, okay, if I if I really want to do what I want to do, I'm gonna to have to open my own brokerage. Okay, well now you gotta start thinking about commission models and business structure and you know business plan and how we're gonna support 
um, other agents and, and that sort of thing. And the more I thought about um, kind of the mentoring, the agent support, um, all that kind of stuff, like I started getting really excited and I was thinking, wait a sec, this is what I really enjoy. It's like how to empower other people to be the best they can be at their job. Um, doing the actual real estate, it's fine, but I enjoy like empowering agents more than right. doing the actual day-to-day work of real estate. So what I'm hearing then is when you started your carpentry profession, you were mentored by mm-hmm. other car- Finnish carpenters. Yeah, very much so. And so do you think that was embedded in you deeper than you had really envisioned? It seems like you're, you've brought that with you, those lessons, those mm-hmm. life lessons with you. Sure. And you're applying them now. Yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of the first element of it. And then... Yeah, I've really thought about that. And then, you know, you definitely, I think a big part of my style and leadership has come from my military training, kind of coming up through the ranks, uh, you know, as a NCO and having junior soldiers under me and uh, then, you know, transitioning to becoming a warrant officer and uh, having even more responsibility. And um, so I, I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely that. And then uh, in the church community, you know, there's... Um, there, there's definitely, I think, that, you know, kind of mentoring and, and counseling others and, and having that done to me as well. I think it kind of, yeah, I think it all kind of plays into it. Now, now that I can't think back, I haven't really thought about it in those terms before, but yeah. Well, you mentioned that you have a seven-year-old son, mm-hmm. and what's his name? Nolan. Nolan. Do you find yourself now as a father? Do you find that you are helping Nolan walk in those shoes, those values that you carry now? I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. Um, the the words of my mother have come true of, I hope you have a kid like you someday. And uh-huh. <laughs> oh, well, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I used to think I was a patient person. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I became a father mm-hmm. uh, to a very uh, free-spirited, uh, opinionated boy. So mm-hmm. um, apparently I was the same way. I don't know. Um, I'm sure you were perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's probably been one of the biggest growing uh, challenges, you know. I mean, I, I think in general, you know, because as a single person, you kind of living life the way you want to live it, and then sure. you get married, you're like, okay, now I have to account for someone else and what they want to do, and you know, what what's important to them and how they work. And so I thought, okay, you know, that's really refined me, and now I'm really selfless. And then I had a kid, I'm like, oh, this is a whole other level of selfless, mm-hmm. where you know, like, I can't let my emotions be dictated by whether or not he's you know, obeying me the way I want to be or obeyed or respected or whatever, you know, because he's a kid. Like, it's definitely refining, I'd say, as far as, you know, kind of the personal character and um, having to be patient and understanding and, um, and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think a lot of that translates to just dealing with people, you know, how people work, what people, what motivates people. Uh, some expectations not being met that they wanted to be met or they're reacting out of fear, you know, or, or something. So, you know, if you, you can, if you can see people as people and kind of understand human psychology a little bit, uh, and I think a lot of that starts with being self-aware, you know, like I see, wait, why did I respond that way? Like what's going on here? There's something deeper that's driving that that's out of, out of uh, character, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you can do that, I think you can, you can relate to people much better. You can serve clients much better. You can understand uh, maybe why people you know aren't responding the way maybe you would or you think you would or whatever. So, 
And do you think Nolan has helped you achieve a different sense of self-awareness then as you've gone through the seven years with him so far? I, I, I think so. Um, it, the, the biggest challenge with that, I think, was just um, realizing that I, I was much more reactionary than I thought I was because mm-hmm. I always thought, oh, I'm cool, calm, collected, analytical. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> you know, I respond uh, emotionally uh, just like anyone else. And, um, and so that's really helped me, like, it's mostly my wife again, you know, reminding me, hey, you can't let him control your emotions. Like, mm-hmm. if he's, you know, freaking out, like, you can't freak out too. Like, you've got to stay calm. And Have you found that you give people a different amount of um, latitude when they are being led by emotions and you can recognize that they're just scared or... Sure upset or disappointed that they didn't get the house right and do you feel like you've learned those skills in a different way than being a father um i I think it definitely definitely plays into it you know Mm -hmm. being able to look past what they're how they're responding or even what they're saying um so i mean a lot of times when i'm helping people you know buy or sell a house you know I, i start with um you know, I don't. I don't start talking about the the property. I start talking about what their motivation is, like what's important to them, what are they looking for. Because sometimes, you know, the things that they um, say when they get emotional don't line up with the things that they said. You know, when they're more level headed. And so, you know, you kind of remind them of that. Like, well, you know, back here you said this. You know, what I'm hearing you say now is is that. You know, like uh, just kind of hopefully be able to calm them down, bring them back to mm-hmm. kind of what's what's important to them as opposed to, you know, let them kind of freak out in the moment. So so, so let's see here. Let's do this. Uh, let's do a recap. So okay. you own your own business. You're a mentor to how many agents? We have uh, ten, 10 agents right now. 10 agents. And you started C-Town when? Uh, January of 2017. So it's been a year and a half. January 2017. You have mm-hmm. 10 agents now. Yep. Married, lovely yep. lady, 12 yep. years, seven-year-old son. You have a podcast. You're an author. What, tell me, do you do in your free time, if you have some? <laughs> free time? What's that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been, you know, being a business owner, uh, it's very easy to have your business just run your life. Um, and so the last couple of months, I've been really trying to be intentional about uh, a little more self-care, a little more time with the family, um, so prioritizing eating right, which isn't too hard with, with my wife being a dietitian. Um, you know, getting back in the gym, taking care of myself, you know, just so I can sleep better at night and I feel better and, you know, healthier and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we're trying to get out more, you know, take advantage of the great Northwest, do more hikes and stuff with the family, so... Um, that's probably the, the biggest free time. You know, I used to rock climb, used to mountain bike, those take a little more commitment, but hikes, you can, you know, do little day hikes here and there, so. With the family. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Try to get in date nights and enjoy, you know, local restaurants and bars. Well, that brings me into my gift that I have for you. I have a gift. Oh. So... If, um, if you don't know this about um, Christian, that one thing that he gives his guests is a coffee mug, a Seatown uh, coffee mug that I use in my office every day. Okay. Drink my water from that. And this amazing book, uh, The Value-Driven Approach to Sell Real Estate, which was a great book. Actually, my perspective of the book, it was a, um, an ethics book. Hmm. So 
I like that. But I have a couple of gifts for you, and oh. then we have the lightning round. Oh, okay. So I know you gave me the lightning round. So I have my own lightning round questions for you. Excellent. So, so Christian, he gave me this amazing mug, um, but I do not have amazing mugs um, from the Junction Association, but I do have this mug from Verity Credit Union. Oh. And so I think you may already have one. I do not. You do not have one, nope. thank goodness. So I want to give you this Verity Credit Union mug. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so this is my gift to you. Oh, well, thank you. Show the, and show the camera for those watching on YouTube. Very nice. And then um, I am not an author like you, Christian, but I do have this magazine, and it's um, Dwell Magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's from... Um, Oh, it's from December of 2017. Okay. So this magazine is my gift to you. I did not write this magazine, um, but I have flipped <laughs> through it. And it's Dwell, A Home in the Modern World, Visionary Design. Mm -hmm. And the reason I picked this one is um, I'm seeing you as a visionary. You are certainly changing the way people look at real estate and the way they interact with real estate. And the fact that you are folding in nonprofits in a meaningful way that is important to me so i hope you enjoy this 2017 dwell visionary magazine that awesome. um, i am going to thank you Laura. I'm going to give to you so there you have it okay so now i have my um my lightning round all right are you ready i'm ready would you rather this is my first one okay would you rather be on a broken ski lift or in a broken elevator? Broken ski lift. Broken ski lift. Why Why do you say broken ski lift? I think I'd get claustrophobic in a broken elevator. Would you try to climb down from the ski lift? Or would you just sit there and wait it, for someone to rescue you? If I was you? close enough to one of the support poles, probably. Oh, okay. So within 20 feet of yeah. a support pole. I mean, if I was there for like hours and I'm like, this is ridiculous, then I'll get down. Like overnight? Oh, yeah. If it was getting to the night, I would, yeah. So you would figure out a way. down before it Okay, dark. but certainly a ski lift. Yes. Over an elevator. Okay. So the next one, would you prefer to be Spider-Man or Batman? Hmm. Batman. Oh, that was quick. Yeah. Why Batman? It's the car. Uh, the gadgets. The gadgets. The uniform. The, he's smart. Stupid smart. He is. He's Not very smart. Smart, yeah. Yeah. Um, just a cooler persona. Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, I'd probably be more like Spider-Man because I'm a little geeky and awkward, but mm -hmm. <laughs> Batman's just cool, so I'd want to be like him. You'd be more like Batman. Well, as we're surrounded by these these gadgets here, so I yeah. can see it's okay. kind of like a Batcave. Sure. It's kind of it actually it could be a Batcave. Would you rather be completely invisible for one day or able to fly for one day? Fly. Really? Yeah. I didn't even finish the question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, why fly versus invisible? Uh, well, to me, and maybe it's just the dark side of my mind, to be invisible, the only mm -hmm. things I could think of would be like doing things you're not supposed to do. Right. You know. That is a good point. Uh, to fly, that'd be pretty amazing. That'd be so, pretty amazing. I mean, I've, I've done skydiving and I used to, you know, be airborne, jump out of helicopters and planes mm -hmm. but you're just falling <laughs> right because you know gravity right gravity that, that's pesky but yeah. uh, so it has to fly i think 
Okay, and then final one. And I think I'm going to know the answer to this, but I could be, we could be mistaken. Okay. Would you prefer to explore space or the ocean? Space. Wow, there, I knew it. So space is all about being free and... Not trapped underwater, yeah. Not trapped. Okay, so it's the trap thing, so... I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm claustrophobic, but I mean, uh, I, I might have elements of it. Like, I'm never scuba diving because I... And I'm not a good... I, I can swim, but, like, I can never figure out, like, the whole coronation of, like, your face in the water out, like, just right. freaks me out. Yeah, the so. whole, I shouldn't be... Right, my face shouldn't be in the water. Right. I had heard that yeah. that's the the trigger point is if you get water on your forehead. As soon as it reaches hmm. your forehead, that is the trigger for a human being to okay. say, I should not be doing this. <laughs> that's interesting. I don't even know why, but I should not be doing that. Yeah. Huh. Well, I have really enjoyed interviewing you. Me too. Have you enjoyed being in the the hot seat? It's been okay. It's been okay. It's been okay. Yeah. It's been okay. All right. Yeah. Um, have you learned anything from us switching roles as you interview other people? Um, maybe have a little better understanding, a little more empathy for when I'm interfering, maybe what they're feeling. Because, <laughs> you know, people come in like, oh, I'm nervous. I'm like, what are you nervous about? I'm like, but, yeah, okay. we're just going to like completely like open up your soul and see what's inside. Right, and record it for all time. Yeah, so, yeah. what's wrong with that? Right. Absolutely not. Um, and then some of your questions, very good. Uh, so kind of thinking back about like some of the things that may have influenced, you know, why I do things the way I do now and mm-hmm. stuff. It's... Yeah, good. Got me thinking. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's all we can ask for. Yeah. Is we are giving people to think a little bit differently. Yeah. So I've enjoyed interviewing you. Um, so you are um, real estate. You, you've written a book. You're a dad. You like to read business books. Um, former carpenter. Um, what's the one thing that you can tell us about owning your own business. What's a a little bit of advice you would give a business owner who is contemplating leaping into the deep end and owning their small business, whatever it would be? I'd say surround yourself with people smarter than you Mm. or more experienced. Have a official or unofficial board of advisors that you can go to, preferably Mm -hmm. outside of your industry. That'd be my recommendation. I like it. And that is a great way to finish the podcast. Um, if people want to learn more about Seatown Real Estate, what's your um, what's the best place to get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, just our website, seatown.com. That's S-E-A-town.com. All right. Yep. And on it, can you find the Seatown podcast? Yep. There's a link to it and the, the menu, so, along with the other projects and, and whatnot. So, yep. Okay. And you have the full social media suite? Yep. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I mean, Facebook is where I do most of the stuff. I okay. uh, want to get more into Instagram, but there's only so much picturey things in real estate. So that's, that's very true. Yeah. Well, it was very nice to interview you. Thanks for trusting me sure. with the interview today. And uh, we hope you have enjoyed yourselves listening to Christian Harris from Seatown Real Estate. Thanks Thank, very much. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time, Laura. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep. That wraps up this week's episode. Make sure to check out our guest website, pay them a visit, and help spread the word about what they are doing. If you have any questions, know someone who should be a guest on here, or has a great story worth sharing, email me at christianharris at ctown.com. 
That's sea-town.com. I would also love it if you would go to iTunes and give us a review and a nice five-star rating. We work hard to bring on great guests and provide exceptional content, and getting a review from you is one way to help the podcast rank well on iTunes so others can find and enjoy the show. You can also find out more about me, how my real estate brokerage is breaking the mold and making a difference in our Seattle communities, and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com, S-E-A-Town.com. Thanks for listening. The music for our podcast is courtesy of The Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. You can also listen to more episodes and find all our show notes on our website at ctownpodcast.com. This has been a Seatown Media Production. <laughs>